Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor and it's a joy to be with you all today. Uh, this uh, this Sunday in, in July. I, I Here at Kern Church, we are committed to creating belonging and hope by connecting you to a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other folks. And so my hope for you today is that you experience that. You experience the, the belonging, the, the sense of hope found in Jesus Christ. Well, uh, with that, I'd like to offer a word of prayer for, for you and for us for this time together in worship. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your freedom and spirit. I pray that you alone are blessed, O God, as your church joins together to worship you. That you alone are blessed as we sing songs and and offer prayers and search for hope and healing. May your spirit come, Almighty God. May your will be done and may you open the hearts of all who worship whether they're here in person or online. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I hope that everyone had, had a blessed 4th of July celebration and, and, and were able to either have an exciting time or a restful time or whatever your holiday celebration looks like. I know for myself and my family, we had a, I, I enjoyed our celebration. Hope was gone for a, about a week. She was taking care of her mother post-surgery. And so myself and my older three kids, we went up to the mountains for, for the week and we had uh, just kind of a, a great and relaxing holiday. Our friends from Florida were up there and they had another family who had younger kids too. And so they just played and had like this, this just amazing, amazing celebration. But you know, nothing special happened. Like we didn't have any fireworks. Um, and we didn't hear any fireworks, which I think is a big plus, especially when they linger on. We, we got back to Oak Ridge, and, and I heard fireworks last night as we were trying to lay the kids down to bed, and I remembered, you know, it, it's okay not to hear fireworks, I, I, I guess. Um, but we didn't, we didn't even have any sparklers. I intended to pick some up at one of those, you know, red and orange tents or whatever, but it didn't happen. Uh, I, I was loaded down with food and just forgot about it. We cooked barbecue, we, we, um, we, we went on walks, we played in the creek, we built fires, we, we did, you know, just, just, just fun stuff together as family, and I even spent the better part of a couple of days of this trip just uh, working and, and preparing for Sunday, and, and, um, and even in the midst of all this, the, the work stuff and, and the family stuff, it was just amazing to be in a different setting, uh, to be in a different setting with, with, with family, uh, even though we weren't all together the whole time, it was, it was a blessing. Even though it was, it was such a, a blessing of a, of a trip, of time to be away, and a, a change of location, you know, it also strikes me, it was just an, an, an ordinary, like a really ordinary trip. A really ordinary trip. And um, in the midst of that, we, we, you know, we didn't do anything remarkable. We, we were just together. Just together. We, we cooked, we cleaned, we, we talked, we, we laughed. And it was exciting and ordinary or unexciting and ordinary. And that's the way life kind of seems to me lately, is just kind of been ordinary. You know, between family and, 
kids events, school events, cooking, cleaning, and yard work. There's nothing all that remarkable about it. It's just ordinary life. I mean, I get excited about deals on charcoal and what the grocery store circular is going to be in any given week and and hoping that I can add some more meat to the freezer or or whatever the case may be. And and if I were to compare my my life to to others who might go on bigger trips or or drive fancier cars uh, and eat in in like fancier places, you know, I, I I might get jealous, I guess, um, but, it, it, but in the midst of that, it just reminds me of the ordinariness of things, like that everyday, ordinary, you know, nothing all that special. I mean, maybe you feel this way at times, in, in the midst of work or, or, or life or, or school or whatever the case may be, that, that, that you may feel as if, as if you have nothing all that remarkable uh, going on in your life at this time. It's just like, you know, I'm just like everybody else. And, and I don't have like this really remarkable story that, that I could share that sets myself apart from, from somebody else. Your family story, though. Even if it's not all that remarkable, it's, it's your family story. Your story is your story, even if it's pretty predictable. Or maybe you're on the other end of this and you're like, you know what, I, I, I wish my life were more ordinary. I wish my life were more predictable at this stage in my life, but, but I have this rare thing going on or I have this weird thing going on or, or there's so much going on. I wish my family had a little bit of ordinary right now. But regardless of whether, wherever you feel your story is your story and your family is your family and in our new message series that we're we're beginning today it's called family feud and and we're talking about family we're talking about family and not just any family today we're we're, today and over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at what i think is perhaps the most dysfunctional family in all of the Bible. So if you're like, I, I don't know, preacher, um, my family's pretty dysfunctional. Well, let me just say, you're not in the Bible, okay? So, so you're not in the Bible, so maybe this, your family's more dysfunctional than this family, but we're going to be looking at this really dysfunctional family in, in the midst of this. And, and, and many of you, probably everybody knows that the game show Family Feud, about how families get up and, 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 and compete together, and, and the host cracks jokes at them and all this kind of stuff like like we are looking at just family life together and i think that every family probably has a bit of of dysfunction in it even if you're you know kind of kind of normal and ordinary so as we look at this family in the bible my my hope for you is that you will find lessons for your own life and your own family but but what we find is that this dysfunctional family and, and what i think is maybe if not the most, one of the most dysfunctional families in the Bible, what we find is that the family didn't start off all that dysfunctional. Instead, they started off like any family, just two people who met and started a family together. Now, they didn't meet in the way that you probably met your spouse if you're married, but they met nonetheless and started a family And what you will find is that it's a fairly ordinary start to their family. Now, it's not ordinary by today's standards, but it's probably fairly ordinary for the standards of the day. And in the midst of the ordinary, and here's the kicker, in the midst of the ordinary, God showed up. God showed up in the midst of the ordinary. God didn't show up in a supernatural way, though. Instead, God showed up 
in the everyday ordinary, even in the lives of the most dysfunctional family we read about in the Bible. And so if God can show up uh, in this way, I think God is showing up and can show up in your everyday ordinary. All you have to do is open your eyes. So today we're going to meet the family. And if you and if you watch Family Feud, it's been on the air since like the 70s. And so if you watch Family Feud, one of the first things that happen happens in the family, the current host Steve Harvey says, "Let's go meet the blank family, whatever the family is." And so today we're going to go meet the family and we share these introductions of perfectly ordinary people and the host will crack fun at them. So let's go meet our family. And and our family today, first up, we have this guy named Isaac. Now, Isaac is the young man of the story. He's the young man of the story, and he's he's trying to find a wife. And and um and and he's 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 trying to find a wife and and have a relationship. But his father Abraham is concerned about his his son because he's not quite as young as he once was, and he still hasn't found the wife that is suitable. And, and so so Abraham is going to make some arrangements for him to be able to try to find a wife. And then we have in the family we have somebody named Sarah. Now Sarah is Isaac's mom, but unfortunately Sarah is deceased by this point, so she's not really in the story, although although she still influences the story. If you know somebody, if you have somebody in your family who is deceased, a parent or a spouse, you know they still influence and they still have influence. And that's and that's the case of of Sarah. And so as we go meet the family, it begins with Abraham. And Abraham is trying like a good daddy to arrange a marriage for his son Isaac before Abraham goes to meet Sarah in death. And this all comes from Genesis chapter 24. So if you want to follow along in your own Bible, we're going to be looking at Genesis. And, and, and Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It, it's, it's the way that the, the ancient Israelites told their story, their origin story with God, and, and, and the way that they began to, to be a people and the way God called them. And so that's where we're going to be looking at today, Genesis chapter 24. And, and we meet Abraham, who's getting pretty old. And the Bible says that, that Abraham was advanced in years. Now, maybe some of you feel advanced in years. Abraham feels advanced in years. I, I like that. And, and Abraham invites his most trusted servant to come to him. He says, you know, come to me. I have something that I need you to do. I need you to make a promise to travel to my homeland, to the place where I was born, and to find a wife for my son Isaac. So he tells the servant, I don't want my Isaac marrying, marrying somebody and getting connected with somebody in this land, the place where we live, because, you know, whatever reason, they're, they're not suitable mates, okay? Let's just put it that way. So Abraham says, travel a long ways to go to where I'm from and, and find a, a good wife for my, for my son to settle down with. And so the servant agrees. And, and then we learn in verse 10, this, this is chapter 25, Verse 10, the servant took 10 of his master's camels and all of his master's best provisions and set out to travel to Nahor City and Aram, uh, whatever that word is, like Naharami. Uh, you know. I had a, an Old Testament professor that said, um, it, you, you, nobody really knows how to pronounce this, so just like pronounce it with gusto, and I failed at that. Like, you, nobody's going nobody's gonna to second guess you if you say it wrong, because nobody else knows how to say it, and I just, I just completely failed that task. So what they're doing is they're journeying in the desert. It's a, it's a dry place. It's a hot place. And so, 
So he, he, he packs up his stuff. He takes these 10 camels and, and other people along with him, and they journey in the desert. And we don't really know much about this trip because as the narrative is told, as soon as they left, they arrive to their destination. In verse 11, it says, He had the camels kneel down outside the city at the well in the evening and when women, when women would come out to draw water. So evidently, the women came out at night to, to draw water. It's cooler part of the day. And, and he goes out to, to the city, to the well that's outside the city, has the camels kneel down. The servant, he's just traveled a long time. He's got 10 camels with him. They're hot, they're tired, and they kneel down for some refreshment. But, but being at the well is not just a good place for refreshment. Evidently, it's also a good place to pick up chicks. And so that's what he's trying to do here. And in and, and Robert Outler's translation, this is like a historic biblical person, in, in Robert Outler's translation, he notes that the well was a social institution of the era and was probably, I like this, probably a plausible place to encounter young maidens. So it was probably likely that this is a pretty good place you're going to find the young women hanging out. And so the servant at this time, he's at the well trying to find a, a good wife or a good wife material to take back home. He offers a prayer to God at this time uh, that, that God will enable a good interaction and make his, make his task successful, that, that he can take a young woman back to Isaac to, to be married. And so this is his prayer in verse 14. When a young, when I say to a young woman, this is a prayer, okay? Imagine praying this. When I say to a young woman, hand me your jar so I can drink. And she says, drink, and I will give your camel's water too. May she be the one you've selected for your servant Isaac. I mean, that's a pretty bold prayer. It's like, Lord, I've got this secret code phrase. And, and when I use this secret code phrase and the right woman speaks it back to me, let this be, you know, let this be like what, what you desire. Let this be what you want. Now, I don't recommend this type of prayer. We had a prayer, a service of prayer and in healing and communion last week. This isn't the kind of prayer that we were praying. Lord, you know, let's just have this secret code interaction. That's not what we prayed. I don't really recommend it. It's kind of testing God sort of thing, but it works. It works out for the servant, you see, because we learn in verse 15 that even before he finished praying, even before he finished speaking, Rebecca the daughter of Bethuel, the, the son of Malchi, wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, was coming out with a water jug, a water jar on her shoulder. And in verse 16, even better, the young woman was very beautiful and old enough to be married and hadn't known a man intimately. So she went down to the spring, filled her water jug, and came back. So all the, all the stipulations that are necessary are filled out in this, 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 this young woman. And here's his chance. This woman has caught his eye. It's not for himself, so, but he, he, she has caught his eye. It's, it's not love at first sight, but it's like, oh, my task may be done. So he runs over her, runs over to her to, to test out this code, code phrase, this secret phrase that he's got with God and, and, and says, um, uh, give me a sip of water from your jar. And then in verse 18, she says, drink, sir. Then she lowered the water jar from her shoulder with her hands and gave him some water to drink. Gave him some water to drink. 
All right, all right. This is part, this is the first part of that secret phrase. Remember, for it to be, for it to happen and for it to be the right woman, she has to give the servant water and also the camels. And so, so she gives the servant water and and she waits for him to drink and and she, he drinks it. He gets replenished himself. But is she going to finish? Is she also going to offer it to the camels? This is, if you're into theater and, and, and like that kind of stuff, this is the part in, in the instructions where it says like pause for dramatic effect like like that's what's going on here so so there's this long pause for dramatic effect is she going to offer the camel's water too and we learn in verse 19 that when she finished giving him a drink sure enough she said i'll draw some water for your camels too till they've had enough to drink so she emptied her jar quickly into the watering trough ran to the well again to draw water and drew water for all the camels. The man stood gazing at her, wondering silently if the Lord had made his trip successful or not. I, th- I find it interesting that, that this woman, there's 10 camels, so how, who knows how many jugs of water and how many times she has to go to the well and bring water, and all he's doing, he's just dumbfounded, just standing there gazing at the, at the woman. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's a man for you, I guess. You know, it, it was the right phrase though, right? It was the right thing. It was the right code word that he had just prayed about. Could it be, could it be that this trip was a success? Could it be that things, the right things are about to happen, that, that all this time, and that she will travel back with him so that she can marry Isaac. Now, I realize this is a pretty improbable dating story. I mean, this is a pretty improbable dating story for today, but it's their story nonetheless. It is their story. So what happens next is that the servant gives this young woman, who's named Rebecca, gives her gifts and ask if he and those traveling with them think can come to her home and, and rest, can go back to her father's house and provide to receive nourishment and rest from their journey. And so she invited them back, and, and the servant at this time pauses and gives thanks to God in verse 27. Bless the Lord, he says. Bless the Lord, God of my master Abraham, who hasn't given up his loyalty and his faithfulness to my master. The Lord has shown me the way to the household of my master's brother. You know, this servant probably wasn't sure if God would show up. I mean, he's sent on a fool's errand a long way from home. And he probably isn't sure if God is going to show up in the midst. But, it, but he reflects on what has happened and is happening, and realizes it's not just by chance, right? It's not just by chance. He realizes that God is there. That God is there in the everyday, ordinary drinking of water. That God is there in the everyday, ordinary traveling. That God is there in the meeting of a stranger. That God is there, and God is faithful. So with the faithfulness of God, he heads out with Rebecca to her home, the home of her father. And when they got to, to Rebecca's home, Rebecca told her brother everything that had happened. And we learn in verse 31, uh, we see that the, the brother Laban comes in and says, Come in. He's speaking to the sermon. Come in, favored one of the Lord. Come in. 
favored one of the Lord. Why are you standing outside? I prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man entered the house and Laban unbridled the, bridled the camels, provided straw and feed for them, and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men with him. He set out a meal for him. So, so what's happening here is he's providing hospitality. And this is a custom in the ancient Near East of, of providing for strangers, of, of offering hospitality. And that's what happens here. And, and a meal is set out for, for them. But before they eat, the servant has something on his chest. He needs to clear the air because he came not just for rest. He came with a stated purpose in mind. And so the man says, I won't eat until I've said something. And so Laban, the, Rebecca's brother, says, say it. So the servant wants to get this off his chest. He wants to get off his chest the whole reason for him being here in the first place. So, so he tells him why he is here, how he met Rebekah, and how he thinks God led him to Rebekah so that he could marry Isaac, or she could marry Isaac. So he tells this story, and he just says at the end, you know, tell me where I stand. Tell me where I stand. Do you think this is going to work out? Now, I want to point out something. I didn't read this part of the story, but the servant gives Rebecca and travels with a lot of gold and a lot of riches, okay? So, so he, he not only says that God has, has sent me this, but he's also giving these extravagant gifts to Rebecca and, and probably Laban and the whole household know that he's got a lot of wealth. And so, you know, this is not a bad arrangement if you've got to arrange things for your family to set somebody up in, in, a, in, a, in a wealthy household, and we quickly learn that the family is agreeable. That, yeah, it, it is probably going to work out, but they want to let Rebecca in first. They want to ask Rebecca first. I, I think this is, this is probably good. The person that's going to get married needs to be agreeable to the situation. And so they bring in Rebecca. And we learn in verse 57, they, they, they said, summon the young woman and let's ask her opinion. And so they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent off their sister Rebekah, her nurse, Abraham's servant, and his men. And then they blessed Rebekah, saying to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. May your children possess their enemies' cities. Now, this is a great blessing. I mean, you know, if you've got a sibling that's being, that's being married, you know, instead of praying that God blesses them in some superficial way, just say, you know, may you become thousands of thousands, and, 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 and may your children take control of all the enemy's possessions. I mean, this is, this is, this is a, a great blessing. And then Rebecca and her young woman, young women got up, mounted the camels, and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. So they are journeying back. They are journeying back to where, to where Abraham is, to where Isaac is. And then briefly, if you're following along the story, the, the point of view shifts from this traveling companion back home. The camera turns back to Isaac. And, and, and Isaac is just at home twiddling his thumbs and doing, you know, acting like a buffoon. I don't know what he's doing, but he's at home. And he decides that, that, that he's going to go out in his field one evening and kind of check things out and make sure things are, are arranged properly in the field and things are, things are going okay. And then he notices, his eyes look up, and he notices along the horizon there's some camels approaching. I mean, a line of ten camels approaching probably remembers that his dad had sent out some camels, right? And then we switch back to Rebecca in verse 64. She sees Isaac as well. Rebecca stared at Isaac and she got down from the camel a long ways off still and said to the servant, who is this man walking through the pasture to meet us? 
The servant said, he's my master. So she took her headscarf and, and covered herself. Is there a next part? And the servant told Isaac everything that had happened. So she covers her, herself with this headscarf because she's going to marry this guy and, and she doesn't want to be seen by him yet. This is part of the custom. And then the servant, when they get there, the servant tells everything to Isaac. Tells everything to Isaac. Everything that had happened. And then we learn that, that Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent. Now remember, Sarah isn't living, but her presence is still known. And, and he brings her into his mother's tent and he receives... He received Rebekah as, as his wife and loved her. So other than the fact that people do not generally meet their spouses this way anymore, I mean, this is not kind of happenstance for today. This is kind of a, a perfectly ordinary story. But God showed up in the midst of this everyday ordinary and it was the servant who was first able to see that God was showing up. It was the servant who was first able to see that God was, was there working. I mean, we read about that in verse 20, 27, where the servant realized that the Lord, it was the Lord who had shown him the way. It wasn't, it wasn't Abraham, it wasn't Rebekah even, but it was the Lord who showed him the way. He had the eyes to see, to see God active in the midst of the everyday ordinary. I love the words uh, that were written by a biblical teacher, a guy by the name of Walter Brueggemann, who said that we do not always know the gifts of God in advance. We do not always know the gifts of God in advance. But given the perspective of faith, given the perspective of faith, we can in subsequent reflection discern the amazing movement of God in events. Does that ring true? You may not know that God was there, but in retrospect, given the eyes of faith, you can say, yeah, God was there. God showed up there. And that's exactly what we find. God showing up in the everyday ordinary with the perspective of faith. You can have the eyes to be on the lookout, be on the lookout for God in your everyday ordinary. In light of this, in light of this, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for God in your everyday ordinary. Maybe as you break bread, consider how God might be there. As you're playing with kids or, or grandkids, consider how God might be there. As you talk to a stranger, consider how God might be there. As you drink your coffee and listen to the birds outside, how might God be there? As you tend your garden or mow the grass, consider how God might be there. As you're doing the dishes, how God might be there. As you walk in the woods, how God might be there. Even as you drive to work, how God might be there. I mean, there are so many interactions throughout your day, throughout your day that are really ordinary things, everyday ordinary things. And the witness of, of meeting this family, who, who turns out later on to be really dysfunctional, but in the midst of meeting them, we find that God is present in these things. God is present in your everyday encounters. God is present in your ordinary things. I have this great little book that was written by an Episcopal priest, a lady by the name of Barbara Brown Taylor. It's called An Altar in the World. 
And in it, she invites you and I to notice and to be on the lookout for God in these everyday moments. She says, whoever you are, you are human. I like this. It's a reminder that you're nothing special, that I'm nothing special, that whoever you are, you're just a human being. Wherever you are, you live in the world, which is just waiting for you to notice the holiness in it. The world is just waiting for you to notice God in it, the holiness of God in it. You know, God is there right in the midst of your life, just waiting for you to notice God. So as we continue this message series over the next few weeks, trying to learn from a a dysfunctional family, you know, we're going to encounter many things about family and and life with family. but, But today I want to encourage you to just look for God. Look for God in the midst of your ordinary life, in the everyday ordinariness of life, because even when things are not perfect, or even when things are are not flashy, or even when things are not all that exciting, God is still there. God is still showing up. God is still bringing grace. God is still present. Imagine what your life would be like if you were, were able to see God present in the everyday, everyday ordinary stuff of your family. Your commute may not be so burdensome. Your, your struggle with, with trying to figure out supper every night may not be such a chore. The, the chore of cleaning and doing dishes may not seem all that, that heavy. For you see, God is going with you. God is going with you. There is no time in the midst of the everyday ordinary that God is not present. God is present always in all places. And sometimes all you have to do, sometimes all you have to do is just open your eyes to see. Open your eyes to recognize, to reflect on God's presence in your life. And then you can say, yeah, God has been here. God has been here all along. And I am blessed because of it. Let me pray for you. God, you are the one who shows us the way. You are the one of life and of hope. I pray this day for all who hear these words that that you will give each one the eyes to see, the, the, the perspective of faith to look back and to see you moving and to see your presence in their life. May you strengthen each one this day and every day through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May you know that you are loved by God. Who, who enters into life and your life in everyday ordinary places, may you go this day filled with God's Spirit and be aware, be aware of God's presence in your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.